We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. As he is about to go towards that cross where he will die for our sins. And we're going to look primarily today on what we call Maundy Thursday. Did you guys know that the Thursday before Easter is called Maundy Thursday? Did you guys know that? You know about Good Friday, right? While the Thursday before uh, Good Friday is called Maundy Thursday, it comes from the Latin word that means uh, to wash feet or when Jesus washed feet. And you can read about that in John chapter 13. And so, I don't know, a lot went on that day. As a matter of fact, a lot went on that week. And so we're going to cover a section here. Before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of background. And I'm going to tell you straight out, you know, you guys know I have OCD. And so I like to outline things, you know. Tonight I just can't do that. I, I thought to myself, if I try to outline this, I'll be out of line, okay. So we're just going to go through it. And hopefully there will be a couple of things that you could hold on to that you would know how much the Lord loves you, that you would know what an amazing Savior that we have, that as He's going to the cross, you know, and He's looking to the future, He's looking to you and I in heaven, that was the joy He wants us all to be in heaven, that, that man that just kept Him going, even though He's getting hit, boom, with this, and boom, with this, and He's forsaken by everybody, He's forsaken even by His Father, He's betrayed by Judas, and all these things are like coming against Him, and His body's even telling Him, I don't want to die on a cross. He just kept going because of His great love that He has for us, you know? And so, hopefully in going through this, there'll be some things that the Lord will just use to encourage you guys, because... I really pray that if you're a husband, that you'd be a godly husband. And if you're a wife, that you'd be a godly wife. And if you're a parent, that you'd be a, a godly parent or a single person, you know, that you would serve the Lord and that you would stay pure. You know, that you, this wouldn't be like a, a churchianity thing, like a superficial thing that's part of your routine, but it would be real. It would be truly, you know, God transforming your life, God setting you free, God encouraging you, God making you strong. This is not a religion. It's a relationship with the living God, okay? And so may God use this study. I know in looking at the week, um, we know that on Sunday, uh, it was Palm Sunday, you know, even though I didn't give you guys palm branches, and I'm sorry about that. You guys know all about Palm Sunday, that they were, you know, waving those palms. It was a symbol of victory. And Jesus, think about it, riding on a donkey, not on a stallion, not on a horse. You know, he rides down, uh, the, you know, the, the Mount of Olives on a donkey into the Kidron Valley and then into Jerusalem, presenting himself to the people. That's what took place on, on Sunday. And then if you read the Bible, you'll find that he returned to Bethany and he was staying there with uh, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Okay, so that was where he stood, just outside of Jerusalem during this week. Now on Monday, uh, he came back towards Jerusalem, and uh, what you'll find according to Mark 11, uh, verses 12 through 18, as well as John chapter 12, that he entered into Jerusalem. You guys remember the story of when he saw the, the fig tree? And he went to get some fruit, and he saw that it didn't have any fruit. You guys remember what happened? He cursed it, right? And the fig tree was symbolic of Israel, right? And, and it's also symbolic of our lives. You know, as the Lord gets closer and closer to you, and he starts looking at you, not just the show that you put on at church, but the real you. Does he see fruit? Does he really see fruit. I mean, we learn lessons. Uh, we know that that was pretty much the Monday for Jerusalem, I mean, for Jesus. And then the Tuesday, again, he entered into Jerusalem. This time they saw that that fig tree that Jesus had cursed the day before was all withered and dried up, right? And they were tripping out on that, you know, and they're like, hey, master, the fig tree that you cursed yesterday, look, it's all dried up. And then Jesus said to them, you know, if you had faith, you know, you could do amazing things too. You know, it's not just uh, Jesus or Paul or, you know, Chuck Smith. It's you. 
He said, if you just had a little bit of faith, do you realize what, what, what we could do in your life? And I'm not saying you're going to curse fig trees, but you will be used by God to show a sign, to give a visual lesson. You know, the cursed fig tree was a lesson to those who reject Jesus. They curse themselves. We got to bear fruit. We have to really receive the Lord. You know, when you look at Tuesday, Tuesday was a real jam-packed uh, day for Jesus. That was when he went into the temple, and, and he was challenged by the Sanhedrin, the rulers. Uh, they asked him where he got his authority. And then the Pharisees and the Herodians, they kind of gathered together. They tried to trick Jesus as far as whether or not it was right to pay Roman taxes or not. And then the Sadducees, you know, came behind and they were questioning Jesus about the resurrection, giving him some ridiculous scenario because they didn't believe in life after death. How foolish that is. There are some that don't believe in life after death. And I think that's so foolish. I remember one time I was working at Vaughn's and I had a friend of mine. He said, ah, I believe that when you die, you just stay six feet under. And I said, really? I said, how silly. I mean, can you prove it? You can't prove that. But you can prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, I think if you close your eyes and you just kind of look inside yourself, you know that there's life after death. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus kind of set them straight. But all these people were coming against him. All these religious leaders were coming against him, right? That was Tuesday. You know, then finally a Pharisee came to him and asked him about the greatest commandment. And he said, to, to love the Lord. You know, just to love the Lord, man. You know, you, not a bunch of rules and regulations. Well, Manny, aren't you supposed to wear a tie when you're teaching? Or at least, you know, some nice slacks. Why do you have vans on? Shouldn't you have, like, you know, some real nice shoes? And I mean, you name it. We can come up with a whole bunch of rules and regulations. When in all reality, Christianity is just loving God. Love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I go and I read and I pray and I spend time with the Lord. And I go to church because I know those are the personal convictions I need to be drawing from the living wells, right? But I, I do all those religious things in order that I might love people, in order that I might love God. Because what happens a lot of times is some people look to those religious things and they think that they're great Christians. Oh, I'm a great Christian because I prayed for two hours today and I read my Bible for an hour today. And that's cool. Well, how did, you treat your, how did you treat your wife? That's way more important. How did you treat your co-workers? How did you treat your friends? You know, that's Christianity. To love the Lord and, and to love the people. These are the things that the Lord is dealing with right before he goes to the cross. And, you know, it's just amazing when you look at that Tuesday. What ended up happening at the end of the day is that he... He, he condemned the religious leaders. He condemned them. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You guys look so good on the outside. You're, you know, like you're like a whitewashed tomb with dead men's bones on the inside. Be careful that you don't become a self-righteous Christian, a self-righteous scribe and Pharisee who looks down on other people because they don't have the same personal convictions that you have. Because that was where Jesus, you know, sweet Jesus, he was so meek and he was so kind and he was so loving. And, you know, here comes the prostitute and he's just ministering to her. And there's the tax collector. They were considered the worst or the drunk, you know. Jesus was a friend of sinners. But the one he had the problem with the most was the self-righteous religious people. And that was his final public discourse was he was condemning them. Brood of vipers, hypocrites. You know, you take a guy and you go and you disciple him and you make him twice the son of hell as yourself. I pray that you guys, we would just know that really Christianity is not that. It's not about the rules and regulations. It's about the way you love God and the way you love others. And, you know, God, I think, wants to... Just really show us this as we're looking at the last days of Jesus' life, the lessons that he's teaching. 
Even right before he left the temple, he saw the way people were putting into the temple, and he saw the rich putting in out of their surplus. But he saw the widow, she only put in a little mite, a couple of pennies, but that's all she had. And it's just so cool the way the Lord teaches us these things. Later that afternoon on Tuesday, what happened was he went up, and again, through the Kidron Valley, he was on the Mount of Olives, and they were looking at the temple, and the guys were all impressed with the temple, and they said, Jesus, isn't this amazing, that temple? And he says, well, it's gonna, it's, one day it's all going to burn, man. Every stone will be thrown down, right? And so that's when the Lord gave them that uh, eschatology lesson, Mark 13, the Olivet Discourse. And then Tuesday evening, uh, Jesus predicts his crucifixion. And one of my favorite stories, if you get a chance, I encourage you to read it, is when Mary of Bethany anoints Jesus for his burial. One of my, my favorite stories. Just a beautiful act of worship. Think about it. There's Jesus, and she comes in with this alabaster flask of fragrant oil. It was really what she needed as a, as a dowry to get married. That's really what it was. But she broke it, and she just poured it on Jesus. She washed his feet, and everyone else is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and, and Jesus said, leave her alone. She's uh, preparing me. She's anointing me for my burial. She was like the only one that knew what was going on. And it was an act of worship. It's a great story there. That was on, on Tuesday. Wednesday, we don't have any information Jesus was probably taking a nap that day. You know, he did that every once in a while because he was human. I don't know, man, but imagine that, getting ready to go to the cross. And, and then on Thursday, probably in the morning, okay, so now we're on Monday, Thursday. Okay, so we're finally on Thursday. It was probably in the morning, maybe in the afternoon. He sends his disciples into Jerusalem from Bethany to get ready for the Passover. Prepare. Hey, Master, where should we have the Passover? He said, go. You know, you'll see a guy carrying a water jug, which was a very uh, uncommon sight. And, you know, just we'll set up. And they finally found the house. Some believe it was the home of uh, John Mark's parents. And, and they set it up. This is where we're going to have Passover. And now we enter into our text. In Mark chapter 14, it says in verse 17, In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, One by one, is it I? And then they said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Now as we go through our text tonight, we're going to see five prophecies that Jesus gives. Three of them are bad. Uh, two of them are good. And the first prophecy we see as Jesus is uh, having dinner, okay? And, and in the Gospel of Luke, I like the way he says it, in literally in the Greek, with desire, desire, like fervent desire. I've wanted to have this meal with you guys, man. And so the Gospel of Luke also, chapter 22, it tells us that they were arguing, I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. I mean, they just can never get over that, Right? And here's Jesus about to die on a cross, and all his followers are just worried about who's going to be the greatest. It was a little pathetic, to be honest with you. And there they are, they're having a dinner, and Jesus says, here's the thing, one of you guys is going to betray me. One of you guys is going to betray me. You know, and what we'll see, Jesus said, amen, amen, assuredly one of you will betray me. Uh, and what we find is the human instrument of Jesus' cross was that he was double-crossed by a friend. He was sold out. He was stabbed in the back. And therefore, he was stabbed in the heart. You know, of course we know the prophecy in Psalm 41, verse 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And so when you lift up your heel, uh, some say it just means like, you know, turning against them, and that could be it. 
But most tell you, it's like, I don't know if you guys know how to kick, really kick somebody, like, boom, you know what I'm talking about? Like a horse, you know, kicking. My familiar friend, we, we grubbed together, we, we dipped in the same, you know, we double dipped together. He's going to betray me. It, Judas, we would never thought, you would have never thought it would be Judas. No one ever suspected it would be Judas. When they were sitting there in the Passover meal, um, it wasn't a regular table. I don't know how they did this, to be honest with you, but I know this is what they did. They would lean. They would lean down like this, and then they would be eating with their left hand. And so I don't know how, but um, Judas was seated at the place of honor. And so right now the Lord gives a prophecy. Why? Why do you think he gives a prophecy? Why is he telling them that one of them is going to betray him? Well, I think number one is that he wants them to know ahead of time. That way when it, it happens, you know, they'll, they'll know, okay, God knew all about this. It doesn't make them stumble. But really the main reason is because he was reaching out to Judas. Judas, I know all about this. I already know that on Tuesday you went and set something up with the religious leaders. I know about that. And, 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 you know, as the Lord is saying, one of you is going to betray me, what ends up happening is they all start asking, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And then you know what happens? Peter, uh, it, it says in the Gospel of John, that Peter went like this to, to John. Ask him. He was just motioning to him, right? Ask him. And, uh, and John, who was the one that Jesus loved, right? He was next to him on the right side. He said, Lord, who is it? Right? And then what Jesus did is said, He said, the one that I dip my, my, my bread in right now, and that sop, the one that I dip it in and give it to, it's him. Now, now more than likely, Judas heard. Because Judas is right here. John's right here. Jesus is right here. Judas knows all about this. So Jesus dips his bread in the sop, the one that I give it to, and he gives it to Judas. And, and, and I, don't, I don't think it was like, mm, I don't think it was like that. I think it was like, Judas, I love you, man. What are you going to do? You know what he did? He just took it. He grubbed. And the Bible says this, that Satan entered him. Crazy. Crazy. But what I find and what I, 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 just, I just trip out on is how the Lord is always reaching out to us. You know, maybe you won't, you know, sell Jesus out for silver. And maybe you won't be the direct cause for his crucifixion. But how many times do we do it in other ways? How many times do we deny the Lord in other ways or betray the Lord in other ways? You know, I want to encourage you guys, man. To really have it in your heart to be loyal to him, you know, to have it in your heart, you know, to just know how much he loves you and how much that would then draw out a, a life of obedience and consistency and loyalty to him. You know, John gives us all this information, and uh, I like what William Barclay said. He said that this portion where Jesus is prophesying regarding Judas, that he's going to betray him. He calls it this, love's last appeal. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're here today or you know some people out there and, and you know, you're trying to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. You're trying to share the fact that, that God made them. They didn't make themselves. They're not here by accident. They were created in the image of God, but we've sinned. We've all gone astray. We've gone our own way. And so, you know, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. God doesn't want us to go to hell, so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. They put him in a grave. Three days later, he rose again. He did all the hard work. When he died on the cross, he died for all your sins. And so all you have to do now is receive him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Just believe in him. Trust in him. Turn to Jesus. And if you do, you'll be saved. And it's like an appeal that's coming from the Lord. 
you know, and you're like, well, I've heard it before. Yeah, my grandma used to say that or whatever. My compa used to say that. But one day, if you keep rejecting, it will be the last appeal to you. And that's why, you know, I always encourage people, if you haven't already received the Lord, receive Him now. Because every time you say no, it's like you're hardening your heart. You know, this was Judas' last appeal. Jesus takes the sop, and he, and he just says, here you go. And Judas doesn't even care. So, oh yeah, that's good stuff, man. And the next thing you know, boom, the devil enters him. We read that in John chapter 13, verse 27. And so here's Jesus uh, prophesying. Here's Jesus instituting. Look at verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Here's Jesus in verses 22 through 24, instituting the new covenant, uh, instituting communion at the same time. Did you guys know that you are in a covenant relationship with God as Christians? There is an agreement. There is a covenant relationship. Um, what we find is that they're there and they're partaking of uh, the Passover. It says in verse 22, and as they were eating. And so it's in the middle of the meal, right? It's the middle of the Passover. And you can read about the Passover, the first one in Exodus chapter 12, and particularly verse 13, it says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Hence, Passover, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You guys remember the whole story there? And I think it's important to know, because I think it's important to get this visual illustration of how we were slaves in Egypt. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to the power of sin and the penalty of sin, right? We were slaves in Egypt. And what does the Bible say? It says that they were to take a lamb, they were to kill it, they were to then take the blood and apply it to the doorposts and the lintels. And what they would find is that when the angel of death came to their house, if they saw the blood, he would pass over, right? And that was all a shadow of the substance. That was all pointing to Jesus, who would one day be our Passover lamb, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. I remember when I was younger, I always used to sing that song uh, about the Lamb of God. I forgot how it goes now, but Lamb of God, you... Remember, guys, remember that one? Sing it with me. No, I'm just joking. The Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, Behold, check it out, gaze at the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? That's Jesus, our Passover lamb. You know, real quick, uh, I was reading up on this, and it's really fascinating to look at some of the historical elements of the Passover. Um, it's different now. Like if you were to have a Seder dinner now, it would actually be different than the Seder dinner that Jesus had, and that would actually be different than the very first Passover, because as the years have gone by, the Jews have added little things to it. But the Seder dinner that Jesus would partake of, it consisted first of all in the cup of Kedush. Uh, Kedush means sanctification or separation. So they began first of all with the cup, number one. After that, they would all wash their hands. Think about that. You know, everybody who's there partaking of the dinner. You go and you wash your hands. Because they would wash their hands three times all together in this meal. Then they would get a piece of parsley. If they didn't have a piece of parsley, lettuce was permitted, but they wanted a piece of parsley. That would be then taken out and dipped into the bowl of salt water, and then that would be eaten. So this is what Jesus was doing that night. This was, number one, an appetizer to the meal. But parsley actually represented hyssop. And if you remember, the hyssop was where they got the blood and they applied it to the doorposts and the lintel, right? And so they would smear the blood and what we find is that as that parsley is dipped into the salt water, it stood for all the tears 
that they cried in Egypt. It's a real beautiful representation of the things that we're going to see where we were in Egypt one time and how Jesus has set us free. And so Jesus is partaking in the Passover meal. Then they would break the bread. What you would find in those days is there would be a table upon which there would be three circles of unleavened bread. Okay, three of them. I wonder where that comes from. You know, probably the Trinity. In the middle, however, uh, it was that bread was taken and it was broken, but they wouldn't eat both pieces. They would break it, they would eat one piece, and that was to remind them of the affliction that they had in Egypt. It was broken, and they would only eat one portion to remind them that they were slaves in Egypt, and a slave never ate a full loaf. You see, one of the things that I think is helpful for us as Christians, not that you live in the past, not that you're like you dwell in the past, and some people even like to brag in the things that they did that were bad in the past. You know, we're not to do that. But we are to never forget where the Lord has brought us out of. I mean, if you ever think about it, you know, where would you be today if it were not for Jesus Christ? Some of you would be dead You'd be in jail. You'd still be in bondage to drugs and alcohol and so many different things, right? I mean, it's good to remember how life was in Egypt and the tears and the way that we were slaves. We didn't have the fullness of life that we have now. Next in their, uh, in their Passover dinner was uh, the, the relating of the story of deliverance. And so it's kind of cool. Let's just say you had the Passover dinner at your house. You'd find, okay, who's the youngest? Okay, you know, Freddie, you're five years old. Okay, this is the question that you need to ask Papa. You need to ask him this. What is this all about, Grandpa? You know, what is this all about? So the youngest person would then ask what this all was about, what made this day different from all the other days, and why all this was being done. And the head of the house would then tell them the whole history of Israel. Now again, you know, you're going to the cross, you're going to die for people, you know, but then you find out, well, Judas is going to betray you. And then you find out that everyone else is going to split. And you're going to be by yourself. Even your father is going to turn his back on you. He said, all of you will be made to stumble. You know what's interesting is the Greek word translated stumble here is where we get our, our English word scandal. Scandal. Now originally in the Greek language, it really meant to trick someone or to trap an animal. It was the stick that they would actually put the bait on where when the animal would smell and he would come, then that would trigger the trap. And so Jesus said literally to them, you're all going to be tricked. You're all going to be trapped because of me. You know, and, and when you look at it that way, I think it's different. You know, um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm easily tricked, unfortunately. I'm kind of a gullible guy. You know, the other day, uh, I hope my wife doesn't mind me sharing this with you, man, but it was, uh, it was I forgot... Um, What's the date today? The second? Okay, so this was yesterday. It's crazy. Yesterday. You know, my wife wakes up in the morning and I'm over there by the desk and she's sitting on the bed and she's just saying, Oh, I feel dizzy. I feel dizzy in my heart. Oh, I just having struggles. Can you pray for me? And I, I was like, What? What's going on? And part of me is thinking that something's really wrong with her, right? You know what she did? She's all April Fools. <laughs> And I was like, this is wrong. <laughs> Liars. April Fools, man. <laughs> but I just, you know, I can, I can be tricked. I mean, when I think about denying the Lord, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do this. Like, um, you know, I love Jesus, man. I love him. And I think the devil knows that about most of you, that you love Jesus, but when you start talking about somebody fooling you, somebody tricking you, somebody, that Greek word, scandalizing, then that's different. And that's where it takes more than what we got. It takes a real 
lot, a whole lot of discernment. And that's what happened with Peter. He would have never saw it coming. I mean, even though that guy loved the Lord, and look what he says. Uh, it says in verse 28, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. I mean, these prophecies, right? I mean, and, and when you look at this right here, you know, what I find the Lord just telling me is that, man, you have to be so careful, Manny, because this can happen to you if you're not walking in the Spirit, if you're overconfident in your own love. No, you really need, and we're going to see, you need to be, be in prayer. Look what he, he says next. Uh, Peter, uh, he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. And then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And then he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you, what you will. And then he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? I mean, Jesus goes, he's hurting. He is, he is hurting so much and he's praying so hard that he's sweating drops of blood. Hematidrosis, that's the medical term for it. I mean, he is anguishing in prayer and he needs a friend to be there for him, to be there with him. And he finds them and he comes back and these guys are sleeping. And then he, he directs his words to Peter. Why? Why Peter? Maybe because he was a leader, but probably primarily because he was the one Satan was asking for. And so he's talking to him. You know what's interesting? The whole book of Mark, okay, in Mark chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus changes Peter's name from Simon to Peter. Okay, from Simon to Peter. So through the whole gospel of Mark, he never calls him Peter again. I mean, he never calls him Simon again until right here. Right here, he calls him Simon. Now you might ask, well, why? Why is that? And I think the reason is because Simon, the word, the name Simon, it means hear. It means to hear. And I think what Jesus is trying to say is, listen. Listen. Can you hear me? You need to start praying. Or you're going to be in big trouble. And I wonder if there's anyone here tonight that, that the Lord is trying to say, listen, you know, you do a lot of other things. How about our, our time together? How about our time when you sit at my feet and, and, you, and we talk heart to heart? Because if not, Satan, he's going to take you and he's going to sift you as wheat. So, you know, the Lord comes, these guys right here, are, uh, are, are sleeping, but Jesus isn't. And, and I think a large part of it is verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. You know, when the Lord was praying, it, it, it was uh, not him submitting to a, like a distant, disinterested deity he was submitting to his loving father. Abba means papa, means daddy, right? And when you can trust your life into the hands of your daddy, your Abba, your papa, the one who loves you. That's what Jesus did, you know? He kept praying, he's wrestling, his human nature is struggling, but man, you know, he's praying his way through this, right? And so he tells him in verse 38, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. And again he went and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Right? Have you guys ever been there? <laughs> Have you ever fallen asleep while you're supposed to be praying? Some of you guys aren't even getting out of bed. Yeah? <laughs> and then he came the third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, he came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they laid hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then they all forsook him and fled. In closing, we see here uh, Jesus, uh, I, I think like submitting, totally submitting, and, and, and just simultaneously being betrayed. Those are the things that are going on. You're like, okay, reality show. These are the things that happened to our Lord that week and, and that night, you know, and Man, imagine this guy that you love so much. He comes up to you to betray you with a kiss. And there's two Greek words for kiss. One is just a regular kiss that a normal rabbi would receive out of respect. Uh, this word right here is emphasized in the Greek. It has a prefix before it that would then intensify it. Literally in the Greek language, it was a, it was a kiss that was used really for uh, lovers. And apparently what happened was Judas went up to him and he just started like, you know, like, oh, I love you so much, Rabbi, and kissing him. And in the process, identifying him as the one that they would then arrest. When it's interesting, if you read John chapter 18, Jesus said to them, who do you seek? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And you know what Jesus said? I am. And you know what they did? They all fell down. They got slammed. I mean, being slain in the spirit is not a good thing. <laughs> in that context right there, what we find is that they were just, Jesus was saying, I am in complete control here. No one takes my life. I'm laying it down for the people that I love. And that's what we find right here, you guys. And you know, When you see the Lord submitting and Judas betraying, it's just a, a crazy, crazy story of love. Um, Francis Chan called it, you know, crazy love. It was just the amazing, amazing love that Jesus Christ has for us. You know, all along the way, even though people are coming against him, even though people are opposing him, betraying him, denying him, forsaking him, there he is all alone. He's still going forward and doing the right thing. And what you find is the Lord is giving us that lesson. We haven't even gotten to the cross yet. Tomorrow we'll get to the cross. In case you're wondering what Jesus did on Thursday night, first he went to the former high priest, Annas. They took him there. They had already been beating him along the way. And he was condemned by him. Then he was taken to... Uh, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, they had kind of a semi-trial you know, trial for him, nothing legal about it. And then what we'll find in the next morning, he appears again before the Sanhedrin, where they formally condemn him. On Friday, they take him to Pilate. He's already bloodied and beaten. Next thing, they take him to Herod. He's just taken all over the place. Pilate didn't sleep all night Thursday night. And then they take him back to Pilate. And tomorrow... Lord willing, we'll pick it up from there as we see Jesus go to the cross, literally, to save us from our sins. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Now again, you know, you're going to the cross, you're going to die for people. 
you know, but then you find out, well, Judas is going to betray you. And then you find out that everyone else is going to split. And you're going to be by yourself. Even your father is going to turn his back on you. He said, all of you will be made to stumble. You know what's interesting is the Greek word translated stumble here is where we get our, our English word scandal. Scandal. Now originally in the Greek language, it really meant to trick someone or to trap an animal. It was the stick that they would actually put the bait on where when the animal would smell and he would come, then that would trigger the trap. And so Jesus said literally to them, you're all going to be tricked. You're all going to be trapped because of me. You know, and, and when you look at it that way, I think it's different. You know, um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm easily tricked, unfortunately. I'm kind of a gullible guy. You know, the other day, uh, I hope my wife doesn't mind me sharing this with you, man, but it was, uh, it was I forgot, um, what's the date today? The second? Okay, so this was yesterday. It's crazy, yesterday. You know, my wife wakes up in the morning, and I'm over there by the desk, and she's sitting on the bed, and she's just saying, oh, I feel dizzy. I feel dizzy in my heart. Oh, i just having struggles. Can you pray for me? And I, I was like, what? What's going on? And part of me is thinking that something's really wrong with her, right? You know what she did? She's all April Fools. <laughs> and I was like, this is wrong. <laughs> Liars. April Fools, man. <laughs> but I just, you know, I can, I can be tricked. I mean, when I think about denying the Lord, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do this like... Um, you know, I love Jesus, man. I love him. And I think the devil knows that about most of you, that you love Jesus. But when you start talking about somebody fooling you, somebody tricking you, somebody, that Greek word, scandalizing, then that's different. And that's where it takes more than what we got. It takes a real lot, a whole lot of discernment. And that's what happened with Peter. He would have never saw it coming. I and mean, even though that guy loved the Lord, and look what he says. Uh, it says in verse 28, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. I mean, these prophecies, right? I mean, and when you look at this right here, you know, what I find the Lord just telling me is that, man, you have to be so careful, Manny, because this can happen to you if you're not walking in the Spirit, if you're overconfident in your own love. No, you really need, and we're going to see, you need to be, be in prayer. Look what he, he says next. Uh, Peter, uh, he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. And then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And then he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you, what you will. And then he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? I mean, Jesus goes, he's hurting. He is, he is hurting so much and he's praying so hard that he's sweating drops of blood. Hematidrosis, that's the medical term for it. I mean, he's anguishing in prayer and he needs a friend to be there for him, to be there with him. And he finds them and he comes back and these guys are sleeping. And then he directs his words to Peter. Why? Why Peter? Maybe because he was a leader, but probably primarily because... He was the one Satan was asking for. And so he's talking to him. You know what's interesting? The whole book of Mark, okay, in Mark chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus changes Peter's name 
from Simon to Peter. Okay? From Simon to Peter. So through the whole Gospel of Mark, he never calls him Peter again. I mean, he never calls him Simon again until right here. Right here, he calls him Simon. Now you might ask, well, why? Why is that? And I think the reason is because Simon, the word, the name Simon, it means hear. It means to hear. And I think what Jesus is trying to say is, listen, listen. Can you hear me? You need to start praying. Or you're going to be in big trouble. And I wonder if there's anyone here tonight that, that the Lord is trying to say, listen. You know, you do a lot of other things. How about our, our time together? How about our time where you sit at my feet and, and, you, and we talk heart to heart? Because if not, Satan, he's going to take you and he's going to sift you as wheat. So, you know, the Lord comes. These guys right here are, uh, are, are sleeping. But Jesus isn't. And, and I think a large part of it is verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. You know, when the Lord was praying, it, it, it was uh, not him submitting to a like a distant disinterested deity he was submitting to his loving father abba means papa means daddy right and when you can trust your life into the hands of your daddy your abba your papa the one who loves you that's what Jesus did, you know. He kept praying. He's wrestling. His human nature is struggling. But man, you know, he's praying his way through this, right? And so he tells him in verse 38, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him, right? Have you guys ever been there? <laughs> Have you ever fallen asleep while you're supposed to be praying? Some of you guys aren't even getting out of bed, man. <laughs> and then he came the third time and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, he came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they laid hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then they all forsook him and fled. In closing, we see here uh, Jesus, uh, I, I think like submitting, totally submitting, and, and, and just simultaneously being betrayed. Those are the things that are going on. You're like, okay, reality show. These are the things that happened to our Lord that week and, and that night, you know. And man, imagine this guy that you love so much. He comes up to you to betray you with a kiss. And there's two Greek words for kiss. One is just a regular kiss that a normal rabbi would receive out of respect. Uh, this word right here is emphasized in the Greek. It has a prefix before it that would then intensify it. Literally in the Greek language, it was a, it was a kiss that was used really for uh, lovers. And apparently what happened was Judas went up to him and he just started like, you know, like, oh, I love you so much, rabbi, and kissing him. And in the process, identifying him as the one that they would then arrest. When it's interesting, if you read John chapter 18, Jesus said to them, who do you seek? 
And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And you know what Jesus said? I am. And you know what they did? They all fell down. They got slammed. I mean, being slain in the spirit is not a good thing. (laughs) In that context right there, what we find is that they were just, Jesus was saying, I am in complete control here. No one takes my life. I'm laying it down for the people that I love. And that's what we find right here, you guys. And you know, when you see the Lord submitting and Judas betraying, it's just a, a crazy, crazy story of love. Um, Francis Chan called it, you know, crazy love. It was just the amazing, amazing love that Jesus Christ has for us. You know, all along the way, even though people are coming against him, even though people are opposing him, betraying him, denying him, forsaking him, there he is all alone. He's still going forward and doing the right thing. And what you find is the Lord is giving us that lesson. We haven't even gotten to the cross yet. Tomorrow we'll get to the cross. In case you're wondering what Jesus did on Thursday night, First, he went to the former high priest, Annas. They took him there. They had already been beating him along the way, and he was condemned by him. Then he was taken to uh, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. They had kind of a semi-trial you know, trial for him, nothing legal about it. And then what we'll find in the next morning, he appears again before the Sanhedrin, where they formally condemn him. On Friday, they take him to Pilate. He's already bloodied and beaten. Next thing, they take him to Herod. He's just taken all over the place. Pilate didn't sleep all night Thursday night. And then they take him back to Pilate. And tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll pick it up from there as we see Jesus go to the cross, literally, to save us from our sins. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.